0: Do you think it's possible to be in a relationship with someone, that it's possible to be in a relationship with someone that you love and be in that relationship in a way that they don't love? Do you think that's possible? I know it is. I know it is. I've done enough counseling and I have enough uh, time in marriage and in relationship and to know that that's true, that it's possible to connect with someone and love that person and treat them in a way that they go, I don't love the way you love me. This is absolutely true. When, like, for instance, do you remember when um, you first got your car? If you were young and you first got your car or you were the first person to get a car in your neighborhood, um, then all of a sudden you were Miss or Mrs. Popular, Mr. or Mrs. Popular, right? And that everybody would ask you around, but and then when your car broke down, nobody asked you to go to the parties or go to the things, right? Did, you, did that happen to anybody? Has that ever happened to, uh, among your friends, right? That, right, because there's a way that you could be in a relationship with somebody and feel used. Or, or what about like if you're like, a, a college student and the only time you call your parents is to ask for money. Like there's a way to be in a relationship that just doesn't feel right. Or what about if, if you're a parent and the only time you speak to your kids is to let them know that they either broke the rules or to know the rules. It's just, there's a tension there. Or what about like if your in-laws are only called upon for child care? Or... Or what about the boss only calls you into his office to complain? You see, that's, that's a universal thing. There's a way that you and I could be in a relationship. There's a way that we all, you don't have to be a Christian to believe this. There's a way that we could try to love each other in a way that we don't love. Let me ask you this. Do you think that that's possible to do with God? See, The difference between the Christian, and there's a lot of differences, but the difference between the Christian ethic or the theology that Christians have is this. And if you're not a Christian, oh my gosh, am I so glad that you're here. And by the way, if you're here for the first time or you're new to our environment, I want you to know, if you went to sleep last night in the penthouse across the street or the park bench next door, you are welcome here. Recovery House of Worship is a very messy church that loves Jesus and wants to pursue him. And we're, you're absolutely welcome to be here. We're so grateful. We have people from all sorts of um, the socioeconomic ladder, and I'm just so glad that you're here. Well, in the Christian ethic or in the, in the, the, the beliefs that Christian have, Christians have, and you don't have to be Christian to believe this, is that we have a relationship with God. Like a relationship, like a love relationship with God. It's not just sovereign to servant. There's an actual relationship. It's not like boss to employee. There's a real relationship. And over and over and over, God uses different metaphors and different ways of communicating that to us. Many times, and we're going to see two ways that God communicates. But the point is, is that we are in relationship with us. We are in relationship with God. And if that is, in fact, true, then there are some, then it is possible to love God in a way that God doesn't love. In fact, this is the question and the big idea that I want you to think about today. I want you to ask this question. Am I loving the Lord in a way that the Lord doesn't love? Am I, am I, now I'm speaking to Christians. If you're not a Christian, if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're kicking the Christian tires or you're not sure you want to be a Christian or maybe you did, you know, you you followed Christ at one time and now you're sort of trying to make your way back and kind of, you know, some circumstances happened in your life. And you're thinking, okay, maybe I need to open my heart or or open my mind to the idea that God uh, could love me or something like that. To Christians, it's possible that me and you, the ones who say we love Jesus, it's possible that I love Jesus in a way that Jesus doesn't love. In other words, in a way that he goes, that's hurtful, that's painful, that harms. Because whenever we love someone in a way that they don't love, in a marriage relationship, in a child-to-parent relationship, in a Friend to friend relationship, in a sponsor to sponsee relationship, in a, a, a network relationship, in an employment relationship. If we continue to love people in the way that they don't appreciate, to love people in the way that they don't want, if we continue to relate to others in a way that hurts them, well, you know what that does, right? It eventually will strain the relationship to the degree where first, They'll start loving you in a way you don't love, and then eventually this thing falls apart. It's the very basis of divorce. Somebody loves someone in the way they don't love, and then they do the same back. And then after a while, they go, "No, it's irreconcilable difference." No, no, no. You just love them in a way that they didn't love. You love them in a way that they didn't want you to love them. This is super true in marriage, right? Um, I've done. I. I've done so much marriage counseling throughout my life that I know that this is true for me and it's true. Um, it's, it's the wife telling her husband, um, you know, the only time you reach over to me is when you want something. You never reach over to hug me or just to, you know, be encouraging to me in a physical, you know, way. The only time you reach over to me What is the wife saying? She's saying, you're trying to love me in a way that I don't love. And if this is true with God, I want us to do the serious work and, and be honest with ourselves and with God about whether or not we're loving him in a way. Now, uh, we've been in a series, right, called This Is Us and we've been talking about now that we're new in the family of God, how do we relate and connect with each other? So we've been talking a lot about that. And if you want to find out about the series, I'm sure they're on a podcast or on the internet somewhere and you can check them out. Now, here's the deal. Today we're going to talk re- God James is sharing with us and he's not pulling any punches. He's going to speak to us in a way that and he's speaking to Christians that is sobering, and we need to take seriously. So we're going to try to, okay? I'm going to read from God's word. One of our, another one of our traditions is that we would stand at the reading of God's word. We don't make it, it's not more holy if you stand or not. The reason that we stand is because we want to remind our bodies, oh yeah, God's word is more important than my opinions or feelings or, or culture or whatever. So we're going to just read two verses today. Let's read them together, okay? We're going to read James chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. I want us to read it together. Would you read it with me? One, two, three. You adulterous people. Pause. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. You adulterous people. Let's start again. One, two, three. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think, Scripture says, without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. This is God's word. Have a seat. So, over and over again in the Old Testament, um, actually in the New Testament as well, God gives us word pictures on how he relates to us. And one of them is that God's people, this is actually, for some of you, It might not ring a bell, but let's, let's try anyway. One of the ways that God sees us, the people of God, the community of believers, the church, is like a wife. Now, lest you men get all offended that God sees you as a wife. Remember, the, the sisters have been dealing with being brothers for a long time, right? And so, all right, that, that we all have to flex a little bit. And so, so the thing is, is that God says, oh, no, 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 no. You think that there's this um, philosophy that makes our relationship happen. You know, like a series or a set of rules that you're going to relate to me if you do this and don't do that, do this and don't do that, do this and don't do that. Then I have a good relationship with God. You are missing the marital relationship that God wants. Could you imagine being married to someone who would only relate to you on the basis of rules? Some of you actually have a marriage like that, which is why you are never happy within the context of your marriage. You only appreciate your wife when she does what, she say, what you want and what you say to do. You only love your husband when he does what you say and what you want him to do. And if he doesn't, you have ways to correct them. You are in a legalistic marriage that is based on rules, not on love. God says, no, no, no. I want our relationship to be based on marriage. You're my wife. Therefore, when you and I sin against God, what are we really doing? We're committing a thing called, are you ready? Adultery. The Bible literally calls James when he says, you adulterous people, he's literally calling us. A woman who's been unfaithful. An unfaithful woman. That's literally what James is saying. You bunch of unfaithful women. He's not just talking to the women, just like when the scriptures say, "brothers is not just talking to the men. He's talking to the group of people. You and I think when we sin against God, oh, no, 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 I'm just breaking a rule. And God will forgive me for breaking that rule. No, beloved, you're not breaking a rule. You're breaking your husband's heart. You adulterous people. Now, he calls us, Right? So he has this relationship with us as a wife. And so we are to look to him as our husband. He's going to protect. He's going to provide. He's going to love. But listen to me. When you're not a faithful person, you don't look to get your pleasure. When you're not a faithful wife, you don't look to get your pleasure from your husband. God, over and over and over, uh, declares this over and over where you see it in Isaiah. The, 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 most, the biggest picture you see this is in Hosea. It's a little-known book in the Bible that when I first read it, I was, it was the first time I was reading through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I've done it like over 50 times, but I, this was like the first time. And I was reading it, and I remember literally standing up and jogging in place. like without You know how like you do stuff, like if you watch a horror movie, you go like that. It's like involuntary. I stood up. Because Hosea married a woman who would not be faithful. She actually goes up to him. This is the part where I stood up and started to run. I was like, ooh, God, kill this girl. Kill her. Strike her down. Her name was Gomer. (laughs) Rule of life. Don't marry no chick named Gomer, okay? All right. Things don't go well. No, I'm kidding. If you're named Gomer, we love you. So here's the point. Here's the point. She goes up to him, and she goes, I love my lovers. I love my lovers. She literally tells him, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to, I'd have to kill somebody. I wouldn't know how to receive this. You don't satisfy me. That's what she says to him. And God comes alongside Hosea and goes, Hosea, she broke your heart, huh? She's running around with other men, huh? She says that what you have, she doesn't want, huh? Me too. God comes alongside Hosea. And says, the effect that you're feeling, the emotion that you're feeling, the rejection, the pain, the heartache, the hurt, the deep wounds that you try to give yourself in love with this person, and they've rejected you outrightly. God goes, me too. You ever been played out? Have you ever been so angry at someone who's been unfaithful that you could do harm to them? You know how God feels. You've never been more like God than in those moments. You've ever been betrayed by someone that you've given your heart to? And you just said, oh, after all I've done for you. God says, me too. You've never been more like God than in moments like that. We are a wife. And when you and I sin against God, we commit adultery. Is it possible that I am loving the Lord in a way that the Lord doesn't love, in an adulterous way? You adulterous people. And then he says, don't you know that friendship, that leads us to the second, the second one. It's, somebody spell Friendship. It's I-E or E-I? I-E. 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 Thanks. All right, friendship. So God says, not only are you my wife, but you're my friend. And he does this over and over again, over and over again. God says, um, but he speaks of Moses and he says, you know, to others I speak in this way and way and that, but Moses is my friend. God calls us his friend over and over again. He says this. You adulterous people, don't you know? Whenever you see in the Bible where it says, don't you know? The answer is no. They don't know. That's why he's bringing it up. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Friendship with the world means enmity or at odds or counter to or an enemy to God. Now, what does it mean? Friendship to the world. That's interesting. what, What is God saying when he says friendship with the world? That the world doesn't mean the people in the world because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Right? So, so. God loves so much that he sacrifices, gives his life to love us, drawing us to himself. But when the Bible says, when the Bible uses the word word world in this context, the Bible is speaking of there are philosophies, ideas, um, things that you and I grew up believing are true, and then the Bible says, you are so wrong about this. Things like sex. Yep, I said it. And and gender. Do you think that you have God's view on sex? I literally remember. that. I, I, whenever I think about this, I think of this one woman who I had a conversation with. It was so heartbreaking. She was like, And I was trying to share with her. I was like, "Oh man, you know, sex is." And I do this riff. I do it all the time. I go, "Listen, sex is not for old people. Sex is not for young people. Sex is not for pretty people. Sex is not for ugly people. Sex is not for fat people. Sex is not for skinny people. Sex is not for people with kids. And sex is not for people without kids. Sex is not for the experienced. And sex is for the uninitiated. Sex is not for those who are really intelligent. It's those who are really. Sex is not. Sex is for married people only." One man, one woman, holy matrimony. And even as I gave that little caveat there, some of you just like, oh, why'd you have to say one man, one woman? It's not that funny. Is your view about sex at enmity with God? And you go, listen to me, listen to me. I'm not here to argue with you. I'm not, uh, here's what I'm saying. If He's God. Can we, all right. And again, speaking to Christians, if you're just on the outside, you go, this is exactly why I don't come to church. And to you, I would just go, just come on, man. Don't, don't, don't shut out just so fast. Perhaps, listen, you've been running your life all of your life. Maybe God knows something that you don't. Maybe God knows better than you do. Could that be possible? And if that is so possible, then maybe, maybe. And we have people in this room right now who struggle with this very issue. I've told you more than once that I've struggled with my sexuality my whole life. But the question then is, is our view on sex in friendship with God or at enmity with God? Which one? You have to answer for you. Don't you know that friendship with the world, friendship of of approving, of conforming to, aligning yourself with the philosophies of this world leaves you enemies with God. What about gender? Let's write a few more. What about money? Money. What's what's your views about money? Is it your own? Just yours, right? It's not like God gave you the brain that you have or the body that you have. It's not like you go, "No, no, no. I I work hard for mine." I I I go to work, I do. And I... Why is it that you were born in this time and not some peasant in India in the 15th century? Where no matter how much work you did, you would starve to death. Why is that? It's the grace of God. It's not your money. It's God's money. If you made any money, it's because God gave you the ability to make that money. You wanna fight that, okay, my question again goes back to do you live in, and again, I'm speaking to Christians. If you don't know Jesus, I'm not talking to you, but you can listen in. Is it friendship with the world? Because you're a friend. You're not only a wife, you're a friend. What is it? How about service? And we'll put in here, like, your time. How you spend your time. Right? Is that, no, 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 listen. I work real hard. I need to get some rest. And, no, no, no. Nobody else can get some. You, you are a consumer in our congregation. And we love consumers. If we didn't have consumers, so many, boy, this place would be real empty if we didn't have consumers. So I'm, I'm, glad, I'm grateful that you're here. Here's the deal. We want to go from being consumers to being so consumed by Christ that we give ourselves away for others. How is it? How are you doing? Friendship with the world? Enmity with God? Now, conversely, if you are a friend of God, the world will think you're a bigot. The world will think that you're narrow-minded, And this is why it's so important that as we have discussions with ourselves, with our family members, with the people that we love, those who we come in contact, that we, like God, treat those who don't believe or think like us with the utmost love, with the utmost care. If Jesus died for us while we were yet his enemy, what does that look like? For us, these are just a few. You can think of some more, can't you? Wife, friend, are you a friend of the world? Are you cheating on God? It's a rough one. Now, goes on to say, therefore anyone, and he's going to reinforce what we just talked about, therefore anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or, or, do you think? Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. When you come to Christ, when you surrender your life to God, you say, God, I admit, it's, it's, and surrendering to God is as easy as ABC, it's admit that you're a sinner. I know it's an old-fashioned word. Admit that you're a moral failure. B Believe. And by the way, by the way, if you're a Christian, that's what you are. You are a dearly loved moral failure. That's what you are. Isn't that good news? Like you don't have to put the lipstick on. You don't have to put the nice dress on. You don't have to do anything. He loves you in all your grimy, in all your dirty and draws you to himself. That's so hopeful because we don't have to perform for God. God has done all the performing necessary. And we get to enjoy him. So why? It's friendship. It says, the spirit that he gives inside. God, if you come to Christ, God comes into your life. In the Old Testament, uh, God would come to symbolically be with his people according to the temple. He would be in the temple. And because of that temple, they would uh, experience um, God is here. So they cared for the temple and all that stuff. And then Jesus comes and he goes, hey man, hey man, you know what the new temple is? It's who you are. That you are now the temple. You are the place where God chooses to dwell. It's no longer a building. It's your life. And God goes, I am jealous for the spirit that I gave you. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Not jealous like, you know, not jealous like pick up your phone, pick up your, your boyfriend's phone and start scrolling through his Facebook messages. and Not jealous like looking through your wife's uh, 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 phone number account. Not jealous like, not jealous like that. Jealous, like, you know what's best for the person, and you strongly desire, and when they choose otherwise, you're heartbroken over it. You have that, right? You have people in your life who are, you have to be a person who doesn't love people if you have people. There are people in your life who are choosing a way of life or choosing a direction to go or choosing a path or making a decision or following an impression or living out a life. They're choosing it, and you know this is going to hurt them. And so you're jealous for their safety. You're jealous for their happiness. You're jealous for their security. You're jealous for their joy. And you go, don't, 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 don't. Listen, at the risk of this friendship being torn apart, would you please not do that? I'm telling you, this is no good for you. You went back out with him four times, four times, he cheated on The fifth time's not going to be any better. Please don't do that. And it's like, oh, man. You're jealous for their joy. you're jealous for their happiness. Hence, God is jealous for intimacy with us because God knows that that's the best thing. What have you been looking for your whole life? I just want to be happy. Happiness is found in being intimate with God. What have you been looking for? I just want a deep fellowship so that I don't feel lonely anymore. God is saying that that is where loneliness dies, is in his presence and intimacy. I don't want to struggle with the depression that I've been struggling with, thinking of myself as such an evil, poor uh, Person, God goes, I got something better for you. I want intimacy with you. God is jealous for that. He's jealous for that. Because He knows it's what's best for us. He knows the way you do sex, the way you do gender, the way you do money, the way you do service, the way you do time, the way you do marriage, the way you do singleness. The way you you get it, you get it all right, so this has been rough so far amen all right so let 's see if we if God'll give us some solutions that'll be more hopeful than just try harder and do better because you don 't need that right you 've been trying harder and doing better for a long time, and you ain 't getting no better all right so let's let 's not try harder and do better let 's see what God says he says this and, and, and interestingly enough James plucks from the Psalms. I think it's Psalm 33, although don't quote me on that. He says this, or do you think that Scripture says without reason? Now remember, he goes, listen, you're a wife, but you're an adulterous wife. You're a friend, but you're like a frenemy. God wants intimacy with you, and you run. And then, this is, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is the, the diagnosis of our problem. And then God says, and then the scriptures say, or do you think the scripture says, without reason, that he jealously longs for the spirit, um, uh, longs for the spirit, he has cause to dwell in us, but, and then he goes, but he gives more grace. That is why, Scripture says now let 's just spend some time in, but so listen to me you 're an adulterous wife at best you 're a friend of me. You think and, mar- and marry yourself to the ideas of this world that make your anxiety possible, that make your discomfort that you feel possible. you know why? because you 're a friend of the world that make even coming to this service so hard because you go, oh, I don't want to, it's going to depress me. I don't want to look at myself that way. See? So that's what we are. We're adulterers. We're frenemies. Got it? Okay. Then God says, I give only adulterers and frenemies. If you're good on your own, you're on your own. Only to the ones that need it. God says, I give this thing called grace. But only to adulterers and frenemies. I give grace. And he says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, the scriptures say, he gives more grace. You go, I can't can't stop my whoring ways. I can't stop my backbiting friendships. I can't stop my love of the world. I can't stop. God goes, I'll give you more grace. You need more grace? You didn't get enough grace today? I'll give you more. You go, but I've never been able to stop before. Oh, you need more grace now to do what you could never do before? I'll give you more. You go, but I've never been proven to be able to be free from some of these boundaries. Okay. But he gives more grace. But he gives more grace. And so I need more grace. I need more grace to love my wife. I need more grace to touch my wife in a way that shows affection and not just a demand for sex. I need more grace. I need more grace. I need more grace to view it's sex as something beautiful, as a picture. That marriage, let's, let's look at marriage. That marriage is a picture of the triune God. And that sex falls in that category. I need to realize That my gender has been given to me. And that that gender is a gift from God. And it's a gift from God. And that even if I feel uncomfortable in my own skin, and there's some here who do, and it's so torturous. This ain't going to last forever. You will get new skin. Skin where you will be overjoyed. A new body and a new heavens and a new earth. This ain't the finish. This is just the beginning. Grace to look at my singleness as an opportunity to be loved and love my Lord. Grace to recognize that my status doesn't come from how much I have in the bank, but rather my status comes from being loved by the king of the universe. Grace to serve others even when I want to be served. Grace to receive the service of God when I'm tired. And then he tells me, stop, pause, breathe. You're trying to get your identity from all the people that you help. And it's not not what I want for you. Is to serve and to be served. Grace. But he gives more grace. And because he gives more grace, he says this final word. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, listen, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is breathtaking. God resists the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. That means if, listen, the only people, listen, if you're going to come to Jesus, you have to come to Jesus with nothing. That's all you can come to Jesus with. I know that there are some of you here where nothing is the one thing you don't have. You come to God with your good works. You come to God with your good marriage. You come to God with I'm better than them at least. You come to God with your clean time. You come to God with whatever you come to God with. And he goes, no, 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 no. I resist the problem. You've got to come with nothing. I, I resist the proud. You know what it is to resist. What this word "resist" means? It's like a wrestler. I, I have two daughters who are um, are doing really physical sports. It's the coolest thing. One is uh, joined the wrestling team, and the other wrestling team. Wow. Right? Isn't that the coolest thing you ever heard? I can't wait till she can kick my butt. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be. She's gonna teach me all sorts of stuff in wrestling. And then, and then there's rugby. Right. I've never met anybody who played rugby. Rugby's not an American thing. Right. Yeah. So so these girls, they're into that stuff. But the both both sports illustrate this, that they resist the competition. Like when you're in wrestling, the whole point is to pin them down to to. And here's the thing. God resists you. Would you believe that? I'm talking to Christians. I'm not saying that you're losing your salvation if you are, in fact, a Christian. I'm not saying that you lose your salvation. I'm saying you lose your joy. You lose your sense of security. You lose your freedom. You lose lose that that light, effervescent feel. What you're experiencing is the resistance of God, and he resists you for your good. He resists you. You know why uh, being an alcoholic is so painful? Because God is resisting you for your good. God won't let you be on your own. You know why smoking crack can be so hard? Because God resists you. Not because God is a party pooper. Not because God wants to rain on your parade. But because God knows that's not the best for you. You know why treating your wife is bringing so much tension? The way you treat your wife is bringing so much tension? Because God resists the proud. He's against them. He's fighting against me when I walk in my pride, when I walk in my friendship with the world, when I walk as an adulteress. But, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So here's the deal, beloved. He gives more grace, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so what you and I need to, is just go, God, I don't know, you know. I'm not sure you're sure. I'm, not, I, I, I'm, I'm confused as what to do. You are perfectly clear. So God, I want to spend time with you until my clarity and my sureness and my understanding comes to at least where I know where you're leading. Now, the problem is, is if you grew up like me, you grew up in a culture that fed you so many lies, you don't know what's true. So how do you get the grace? Well, God, number one, gives you the grace. He gives it to you. He, he supplies it for you. How could God supply this for you? He could supply you the grace because Jesus got the wrath. You see, Jesus literally takes our place in punishment so that we could take Jesus' place in royalty, in joy, in sonship. So, Jesus takes our punishment, and he gives us all the... Jesus got everything that we deserved, so that you and I could get everything that Jesus deserves. We get the grace. We get the joy. We get this presence. We get the satisfaction. Now, so what does that look like? So since we've been so messed up with what we've learned, would you, what does he say there in the scriptures? But the scriptures say, why? Why does he say scriptures? Because if our mind is going to be renewed, if our mind is going to go from being a frenemy and an adulteress, if our mind is going to be, if our mind is going to be transformed, the scriptures are going to have to come in play. You, that means you're going to actually have to read your Bible. Good news, you don't know how to read. There's this app. It's called U Version Bible. You Version of Bible. It will read to you. You go. I don't know where to start. It has all sorts of topical places to start. Two weeks on this, two weeks on that. Scriptures. You got to get with the scriptures. And then you can't do it on your own. Why? Because I'm telling you, I'm a manipulative son of a gun. And I will read anything and make it my favor, put it in my favor. I'll read the Bible that says, um, God, wants my, God wants my joy. And I'll think that my joy means whatever I like. And whatever I like is sometimes not so good for me. You see, it's what God would have for me. So scriptures. Secondly, I, because I manipulate everything, I'm a manipulator. I just told you I'm a whore and a frenemy of God. Well, then I need, watch this, people. I need people. And so listen to me. Listen to me. We need, each other. we need the scriptures, and we need each other. So won't you? Here's a thought. If it's in fact that I am loving God in a way that he doesn't love, can I recommend to you on Thursday, somebody say Thursday the 21st. Say Thursday the 21st. Thursday the 21st is when we have our prayer time collectively, where people come together to look at God's word, reflect on God's word together, praying for one another. That will help start the renewing of the mind that we need. Secondly, on your own time, would you just get that YouVersion Bible and just start letting it read to you? And just, you know, do whatever topic that, if you, listen to me, if these are all graces that God is giving us. He's giving us the grace of not having to read. It could be read to us. He's giving the grace of us together as a family. He's giving us the grace of being confronted by his word. But I want you to know, he'll always give more grace. That's why the scriptures say, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's a question I want you to be asking for the rest of the week. Am I Am I loving the Lord in a way that the Lord doesn't love? In your response to that person who offends you, to the driver who cuts you off, in the um, discussion that you're having with your spouse, am I, in this moment, loving the Lord in a way that the Lord doesn't love? He'll give you more grace. Run to him. Let's stand. I want to pray for you. (sighs) But you give more grace, therefore you say, you resist the proud and give grace to the humble. Lord, would you make us a people who are humble before you? Would you make us a people who are waiting on you? Would you make us a people who depend on you? Forgive us, God, for being the kind of adulterous and frenemy that we never thought we were with you. Lord, if that conviction has come to our heart, would you remind us that what we deserve is wrath, but what we get is grace? Remind us that what Jesus deserved was grace, but what he got was wrath because he took our place. Remind us, oh God, that you are eager to draw us to yourself, not on our conditions and terms, but on yours. Help us, oh God, help us to look to you, know you, love you, rest in you, being a faithful wife and a true friend. Make that a reality in our hearts and in our lives. For we do pray in Jesus' name.